So at RUF, we believe that you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And at the same time, you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And we say that every week because there's this fundamental human reality that we think that we relate to God uh, on our goodness or badness. Um, we, we kind of intuitively believe when we're crushing it that we somehow must be nearer to God. Uh, and when we're not doing well, that God doesn't want anything to do with us. Uh, but the gospel comes in and says that it is 100% completely because of the finished work of Jesus that you are acceptable before God. And that is the foundation that we want you to operate out of. That's why we say that every single week. Uh, and every semester in RUF, you know this, we go through a sermon series. We're going through one on uh, the book of Proverbs. So today we're actually looking at um, wisdom for work. Wisdom for work. And like I said earlier, uh, when you hear work, don't just think about what you're going to be doing in the future. Think about what you're doing right now. Your schoolwork is legitimate work. Um, and so as we look at these various Proverbs tonight, uh, you see them there on your handout. Uh, we're just going to see two things. Uh, first, we're going to see what foolish work looks like. And second, we're going to see what wise work looks like. Um, so if you want to follow along on your handout, I'm going to read these scripture passages for us, and we will pray. So um, let's look first at Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 12.11, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Uh, 15.19, the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. And then finally, my favorite, Proverbs 26.13, the sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us and we can get started. That's a, that's a good one to end on, right? Uh, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, work is something that uh, we can all relate to. Um, and it's all been a part of our weeks, um, whether we're coming into tonight thinking about all that we have to do um, or we are um, here feeling like we've kind of gotten through the week already. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would meet us where we are. Um, and Lord, that you would help us to consider what your word has to say about our work and to consider how the good news of Jesus might transform the way that we think about our work. Uh, Lord, we need your help to do that. Um, so I pray that you would open our eyes um, and that you would help us to see Jesus and in seeing Jesus to be changed. All these things we ask in his name. Amen. All right. So first, let's consider uh, what does foolish work look like? So uh, from these passages of scripture that we just looked at, you can kind of see two broad, unhealthy ways of relating to work. So if we think about working in a way that is wise, think of it kind of as like a straight road. And there's two ditches on either side of this wise work. Uh, one ditch is laziness. Uh, you might have heard the word sluggard when I read it. It's hard for me not to laugh when I say that word sluggard. It's just a funny word. Uh, what does the word sluggard mean? Um, it basically just means a lazy person. Uh, the New Living Translation translates sluggard as lazy bones, 
which I think is maybe a little bit more modern thing that we kind of all understand. Um, so a lazy person. And what is this lazy person characterized by? Um, you can see this in 6.9 in particular. Uh, this person just essentially lies there while, while life passes them by. Uh, it says, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Uh, this is the sort of person that they can never seem to get started on the work that needs to be done. Uh, that's what this means at the end where it's saying a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Uh, I know that you've probably experienced this whenever you need to get something done. Like you've never, ever wanted to like clean your room more. Right. Or like you might not have any interest in reading, but like when you have a school assignment to do, you all of a sudden want to read Dostoevsky for the first time in your life. Right. Like, there's just, we can convince ourselves that anything is more important than the work that we have to do. That's this idea of, like, well, I'll get started after I do this. I'll get started after I do that. That's kind of this picture of laziness. It's a picture of kind of procrastinating, which I'm sure is nothing that any of us can relate to, right? Um, but then the way that this is kind of brought out in this proverb, uh, the, uh, the lazy person is compared to an ant, uh, you know you're kind of in a bad spot whenever like God is giving you an advice, giving you advice based on like what an ant is doing. Like go look at a bug and do what it's doing, right? What does the ant do? Um, the ant is one who is wise in their work, and unlike the ant, this lazy person, they need something. They need someone to tell them what to do. It says that the ant is self-directed. The lazy person needs someone to tell them, "You need to get up and do stuff." Uh, and unlike the ant, the lazy person, they don't have any idea of when they're supposed to work and when they're supposed to rest. So they kind of end up living in this space where they're neither working nor resting. Yeah, this is what the lazy person is characterized by. So laziness is kind of the first ditch that we see. Uh, the other ditch on the other side of the road would be busyness. Busyness. And so I think it's easy for us to kind of identify laziness when we think about someone who's bad at work. I think we almost immediately think of someone who's lazy. Um, but busyness is also a problem, according to these Proverbs. Uh, specifically, let's look at 1211. It says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. So what's being described here is a person who, rather than tending to their own obligations, rather than working their own land, Instead, they pursue what is called worthless pursuits. I think like a, an image of this might be like a farmer who has some really great land uh, that has been productive year after year after year. This farmer all of a sudden decides, well, maybe I'll just open a used car dealership on my farm. Right? That's a worthless pursuit. Or think about like a, a college student who is constantly waiting to the last second to turn in their assignments because they have five different involvements that they have to be a part of that have nothing to do with their future. They just do them because they feel like they constantly have to be doing something. That's a worthless pursuit. It's, this is a person who is constantly burning the candle at both ends. Um, it's a person who is in this cycle of binging schoolwork, uh, going so hard in the paint on their schoolwork, and then they kind of crash into this numbing cycle of watching The Bachelor and eating Pop-Tarts. Right? It's this binge and crash cycle of work. This is what busyness looks like. And in comparison to the ant, which is lifted up as this good example of wise work, the busy person doesn't really understand what is theirs to do and what isn't theirs. They have a very like negative, they have a bad sense of boundaries with their work. 
They think like, if I can do this, then I should do this. And unlike the ant, the busy person doesn't know when to work and they don't know when to rest. Uh, if you're anything like me, uh, like if I were to ask you the question, like if you had to pick a side of the ditch to go off of, like if you had to pick a side to go into, which would you pick? I know for me, I, generally I would, probably, I would probably pick busyness because, right, at least you're getting stuff done. Uh, I think we kind of live in a place where busyness, we at least have some idea that, at, well, at least it's productive, right? So if we're going to fall off, then maybe we should just do that as well. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar. I'm sure everyone's familiar with Jim Gaffigan. He has, like, one joke, and it's about him eating a lot. That's, that's just his thing. That's his bit. But it's really funny. But he has this great bit about talking about how he, uh, you eat McDonald's. Like, have you ever done that in public? Like, you've admitted to eating McDonald's in public and just, like, seeing the people's reaction? Like, they're just like, you don't talk about that in public. Listen, we all do it. But, like, there's an agreement that you just eat your McDonald's quietly in the parking lot and you never talk to anyone about it again. Uh, but he talks about this experience of eating McDonald's and telling someone about it. And then people just kind of have this, this vitriol towards him, like, oh, how dare you eat McDonald's? And he, in a, in a really brilliant way, says essentially, listen, you may have never set foot in McDonald's, but you have your own McDonald's. You may not eat McDonald's, but you probably watch The Bachelor or you read Us Weekly. He's like, you know what that is? That's McDonald's. And what I want to submit to you today is that busyness, even though it might look a little bit better, uh, in the same way as, as laziness, they're, they're both McDonald's. They're the same thing. They're just different sides of the same coin. Both of them are unhealthy ways to relate to our work that are ultimately driven by fear. They're both driven by fear. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, how is the lazy person driven by fear? Uh, 2613 there at the end, it says, The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. Uh, what does that mean? Well, so imagine this. Um, Picture a person who is kind of like three hours into like watching an entire season of New Girl uh, in their room. It's like 10 a.m. They shouldn't be in bed, but they are. And they, uh, they kind of are imagining like, well, I can't go to work today. Like there's a tornado outside, right? It's this person who is just inventing things to be afraid of because they just don't want to get to work. Uh, this person who is afraid of actually doing productive work. Uh, this is the fear of the lazy. Isn't this why we procrastinate, right? Like we're afraid. We tend to kind of like lionize the things that we're afraid of. We turn them into lions. Uh, and maybe for you, like the lion is not an actual lion. I hope it's not. I don't think there are really any lions you need to worry about in Lincoln. Um, but maybe the lion for you is failure. Maybe the reason why you can't get out of bed, maybe the reason why you can't actually get to work on something is because you just have this paralyzing fear that what if I fail? Or on the flip side, maybe it's a paralyzing fear that like, what if I succeed? And like, I actually have to do stuff and people actually start looking to me. Or maybe it's uh, for you, maybe the lion is kind of like worrying that your parents won't be proud of you. See, in any case, the, the, re the root cause of laziness is fear. It's fear. It's thinking that there is a lion in the streets and not getting to work. So that's the fear of the lazy. But what about the fear of the busy? Uh, looking back at 1211, uh, the busy person does not work their own land because they're afraid that they're not going to have enough. It says whoever works his own land will have plenty of bread, right? If you tend your plot, you're going to be okay. 
But the busy person is driven by this fear that they're never going to have enough. They have a scarcity mindset. So what fear drives your busyness? What fear drives your busyness? Is it a fear of failure? Is it a desperate need to matter? Is it like a vow that you've made to yourself that I'm going to prove this person wrong? I'm going to prove my dad wrong. I'm going to prove my mom wrong. Whoever it is for you, what fear drives your busyness? Listen, both of these are like spiritual McDonald's. They're bad for you, and they're not the way that God wants you to work. Okay, so that's foolish work. Uh, Let's real quickly consider wise work. Wise work. So the biblical answer to how to avoid foolishness, the biblical response to foolish work is diligence. It's diligence. And what we mean by diligence is this. Diligence is exerting sufficient effort to be able to go about our God-given responsibilities. It's exerting sufficient effort to be able to go about our God-given responsibilities. Uh, What does this look like? Let's look back to, to the ant. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Uh, so what do we see from the ant here? Uh, I think three things. We see, we see three things that diligence means, okay? So diligence means taking initiative. It means taking initiative. Uh, we see that the ant doesn't have a chief or an officer or a ruler, and yet it gets to work. So diligence means taking initiative. But diligence also means planning ahead. Uh, We see that the ant, uh, it says, prepares her bread in summer. Uh, Summer is the time to do that work, and so the ant prepares ahead. And then finally, the diligent person knows when to stop. It says that the ant gathers her food and harvest. She knows when to gather. She knows when to rest. So this is what a diligent person is, one who takes initiative, one who plans ahead, and one who knows when to stop. And so this is kind of like a broad brush picture of what it looks like to work with diligence, what it looks like to work in a way that is wise. Um, and Proverbs, uh, it paints with a broad brush often, but I want to tell you Proverbs does not have like a simplistic view of the world. I think what is being shown here, this is kind of like broadly a picture of what a successful person works like. It's not saying that in every instance, like if you just do these three things then automatically you're going to be rich. Uh, what it's saying is that, generally speaking, this is a wise way to work. But if you're anything like me and you hear kind of like these three like rules for how to work, um, you, you might respond to it in one of two ways. Uh, one way is uh, you might like try to download every single like audio book on work and productivity and like buy a new planner and like, you know, try to get all your friends to help keep you accountable, like that you are going to be diligent. You are going to go to the ant. You're not going to be a sluggard anymore, right? Like you are going to redouble your effort. And then maybe on the flip side, maybe you're kind of like, this just sounds like more to do. I already feel maxed out. I can't do this. I'm just going to go home and numb out. Like I just can't do this. What do we do if our tendency is to either just redouble our effort or to avoid Like, how do we break out of that cycle? How do we break out of that cycle? Um, Proverbs 15, 19, I think, is really helpful to us in this. So let's look there real quick. It says, the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. I I love this because what it says here, like, so the way of a sluggard, it says it's bad, and then it draws a contrast on on the opposite side. It doesn't say the opposite of a sluggard 
is a busy person. It doesn't say the way to correct is just by doing more, by redoubling your efforts. What it says is the way to correct is by being upright. What does it mean to be upright? What does it mean to be upright? It it means it's talking kind of in moral language. It's talking about being upright in heart. This proverb is telling us that if we want to work in a way that's wise, more than redoubling our efforts, more than avoiding the pain that we feel, what we need is a heart change. We most fundamentally need a heart change. We need a love that changes our very hearts. Uh, Tim Keller says it this way. He says that as Jesus becomes the center of our affections, as he becomes the most important thing to us, then success won't go to our head and failure won't go to our hearts. Success won't go to our head and failure won't go to our hearts. I I love that. I think that's a great way of putting it because the, the problem that we need to address if we're working in a way that's foolish, if we're caught in this cycle of like laziness and busyness and we can't just break out of it, What we need is a heart change. What we need is for someone to come and to address those fears. We don't just need to be more productive. We don't just need to set well-being limits on our phone. Those are good things to do. What we need is a heart change. We need Jesus to take his righteousness and apply it to us in the deepest places of our soul so that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God delights in us. If we know deep down that God delights in us, then we don't have to work from fear. We don't have to work to try to prove something to anyone. We don't have to need to be successful. We don't have to be horrified of failure if we understand who we are in Christ. If we have an identity that can't be shaken, then success won't go to our head and failure won't go to our hearts. Uh, I just want to close with this uh, short quote. I have it there on the end of your handout. Um, and I think this is a good demonstration of what this might look like. What might it look like to kind of embody this view of work, to work in a way that is wise? Uh, some of you might know who John Coltrane is. He was a famous musician in the 20th century. Um, but he had this kind of spiritual awakening um, where he kind of had a renewal in his relationship with God. And he says this about it. He says, during the year 1957, I experienced by the grace of God a spiritual awakening, which was to lead me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. At that time, in gratitude, I humbly asked to be given the means and privilege to make others happy through music. I feel this has been granted through his grace. All praise to God. This album is a humble offering to him, an attempt to say thank you, God, through our work, even as we do in our hearts and with our tongues. May he help and strengthen all men in every good endeavor. Uh, The beautiful thing about this is that John Coltrane was an amazing musician before he had the spiritual awakening. But what the spiritual awakening did was that it it moved him to a place of being upright in heart, such that he could relate to his work in a different way, such that his work went from this thing that he needed in order to be okay with himself and instead became a thing that was a joyful response to what God had done for him as a way to serve God and to serve neighbor in every good endeavor. And y'all, if we know Jesus, if we receive and rest in him, then the same thing is possible for us.